Welcome back to the show. Today, we have an incredibly important interview, probably one of our most important interviews to date. It's with Dr. Joel Kahn, who is a leading cardiologist, and it's all about simple diet and lifestyle changes that we can implement starting today that can drastically reduce our risk of heart disease. Heart disease is the number one killer in the developed world. That means one of us is going to face this, a family or friend. So, There's nothing more important you can do to learn this information, share it with your family and friends, and get this message out. All right, let's dive straight in. So, Joel Khan, thank you so much for being on the show with us today. We are so excited to dive into all things heart health. Well, thank you. We're going to bring some thunder down under, as they say, and... uh... Shake it up a little bit, maybe two, three, four things your audience has never heard before because I'm full of secrets. Full of secrets. (laughs) So exciting. So, um, how did, what was your journey? How did you get, um, you know, into this field? And um, particularly, we know you're a a proud plant based proponent. Tell us about that story as well. Sure. Well, they're actually kind of all the same story. It's a a really emotional story. Everybody just, hit pause, get a Kleenex, get a napkin, and you're going to ball your eyes out. But uh, I was born with a little sound called a heart murmur. It caused my mother and father a little concern. I was an infant, but I started seeing a pediatric cardiologist. The only reason I tell you that, everything worked out fine. It all went away. But if you would ask me at age eight, I was going to be a heart doctor. I actually liked the hospital. I liked the lights. I liked the smells. I had a nice doctor. And uh, it all worked out fine, too, so it wasn't like it was a real stressful thing. I grew up in a household where we had dietary laws called keeping kosher, uh, Jewish dietary laws. So it wasn't unpleasant, but you thought before you ate. Pork? No. Potato? Yes. Cheeseburger? No. You know, a piece of salmon? Yes, growing up. So that is always a good thing to pause for a minute before you eat because it works in every you know, a uh, facet of our life, uh, whatever, you know, healthier than average diet. And then I got into medical school pretty early in life, about age 18. I was uh, one week in the dormitory and I said, I can't follow these kosher dietary laws unless I just eat at the salad bar. So I wanted to be a cardiologist. Now I'm only eating at the salad bar for the next six years. That's a true story. And had become completely plant-based along with a cute little girlfriend who was in nursing school who did the same thing. We were in the same situation. And she's been my wife for 40 years, so it worked out pretty well all the way around. And then I'm, I'm a cardiologist. I'm a big shot. 1990. I'm eating my plants. I don't ever talk about it. Nobody did. No internet. I'm a, you know, I'm a treating heart attacks left and right. And an article comes out by the very famous Dr. Dean Ornish that lo and behold, I mean, nobody anticipated and I didn't know anything about him or the research until it was published. And that was published. It was a journal. There was no internet back then. But you can actually take people with serious heart disease and help them through nutrition and help them through a whole food plant-based diets. And it was like, boom, 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 murmur kosher, dormitory, salad bar, research, all of a sudden I had a new career. I was going to keep being a cardiologist, but I've taught literally every patient I've seen from three weeks into practice 1990, because that article came out in late July and I started July 1st. Um, It was just an amazing little sequence that I couldn't have orchestrated. So I've always had books in my office on nutrition and weight loss and vitamins and 
have now gone back to university 10 years ago to kind of get it all formalized. And I gave up hospital work to just focus on preventive health, preventive medicine, a lot of male sexual health, a lot of hardcore cardiology, blood pressure, and uh, uh, get people better. Trying to use food as the sole therapy and, and exercise and sleep and you know, kind of stress management, a little Zen too. Awesome. Yeah. So it was really, really serendipitous or there was a divine force that said, go out there and spread the broccoli word. (laughs) (laughs) A little little too mosaic there. Sorry. (laughs) So um, during that journey, obviously there's been so many um, studies that have come out to suggest that perhaps that, you know, we need meat and uh, it has no impact on heart health um, and, potentially some efforts to demonize a plant-based diet. Can you tell us about the forces that are involved in that as to, um, because I think generally people are confused still to this day around cholesterol. How do I eat? What's the best diet for my heart? Um, tell us about why that exists in, in, yeah, particular we, in the cardiology space. We do need meat for heart health. <laughs> sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, it just came over me. Um, Mini story, and I'll really condense it. A lot of heart attacks started developing in the United States after World War II. Soldiers back with cigarettes for free. Uh, McDonald's opened up. People had a little more prosperity. Moms went to work. All of a sudden, people were picking up dinner on the way home, not cooking. Kind of the whole model changed. Heart attacks started rising. It wasn't really clear why people had heart attacks if you look at the science. A lot of people just thought it was aging. Research, 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 research focused on smoking, diabetes, high blood pressure, but it focused on diet. And there was a reasonably strong scientific conclusion by 1970. It took 15 years, really hardcore science. High saturated fat diets could be a factor in developing clogged arteries, heart attacks, stroke, erectile dysfunction, always bring up that important signal too. Saturated fat being butter, lard, cheese, marbled meats, there's saturated fat even in turkey, pork, and fish. And there's very little in whole food plants, with the exception of coconut oil, which isn't a whole food, but coconut oil is an extraordinarily high. So by 1970, the American Heart Association, looking at some pretty solid data, said, you know, it's a reasonable recommendation. Limit the amount of saturated fat. Now, they should have said limit the amount of meat, eggs, cheese, whole milk, you know, um, uh, lard, ghee. But it was so difficult because of the food lobbies and the meat and the egg and the dairy industry. Uh, pushback. They kind of put it in terms of chemistry, which nobody really gets, which is why, you know, 30, 40 years later, 50 years later for 1970, I apologize, it's actually still a little confusing. But that was all reasonably well accepted till the dairy industry really started to go downhill. And in 2008, there's a very well publicized meeting they had in Mexico City. You know, the damn soy milk is killing us. We got to push back. And they came out in 2010 with a research study funded by the dairy industry that said we cannot confirm that saturated fat causes heart disease. It actually wasn't a new research project. It was one of those ones called meta-analysis. You take the existing research, you run it through some statistics. Boom. All you need is a little spark you know, to light a forest fire. And within a couple of years, Nina Teichel's had that book out called The Big Fat Surprise. It became an international bestseller that many doctors endorsed right on the cover. Meat, cheese, dairy for your heart health. Time magazine put on the cover, you know, butter is back. All of a sudden, the public was getting very mixed messages. Now, 
no medical organization changed their tune. Even now in 2020, I can list you 25 prominent medical organizations, Australian health organization and Italian and the Canadian, American, all around the world. They still are consistently focused. The bulk of the data is high saturated fat diets, which is pretty much to say high animal rich food diets promote heart disease. There's always an exception. You can eat bacon to your 105 and not have a heart attack, but you have to plan your life based on as much data as possible. And that's an exception, not the rule. The rule is more commonly animal foods, heart disease, uh, risk increases. Um, about four months ago, a group in England called the Cochrane Database, which most people feel is the most independent, unbiased, high-level research group, once more looked at all the world's data on saturated fat and heart disease. Clear conclusion, lower the saturated fat in your diet, you lower your risk of heart disease. It was very strong data. The more you lower, the more you lower your risk uh, dramatically. Made no headlines. There was not one media site that picked that up. Not Newsweek, not Time, not the Wall Street Journal, not USA Today, not Reuters. It just didn't get picked up. It's not a sexy message. It doesn't help to meet the dairy and the uh, egg industry, and it got buried. I noticed it. I was just reading the National Library of Medicine kind of online. So, whoa, that's a pretty strong statement. So I started writing some blogs. And about two weeks later, a group of scientists published in a cardiology journal, very prominent journal. I don't know how they got this allowed. We did our own independent study. We cannot confirm, it's 10 years later, that saturated fat causes heart disease. Nine of the 12 authors were funded by the meat, the dairy, and the egg industry. It was right at the end of the journal. Hundreds and hundreds of media outlets picked up that article and the headline, not the funding conflict, the headline. And it just in the last three months created a whole cycle of exactly what happened 10 years ago. And truly, there is pretty broad consensus. Somebody I often point to, there's a scientist in Milan, Italy, and Los Angeles, Dr. Walter Longo. PhD, who many people consider one of the top one, two, three nutritional scientists in the world, and probably on the path to win a Nobel Prize in Medicine for some amazing biochemical science on nutrition. And, you know, you just talk to him about it, and he chuckles. He goes, you know, you got to take all the data. You got to look at old people. You got to look at randomized studies. You got to look at epidemiology. You can't look at biochemistry and conclude that a high meat diet prevents heart disease. You have to conclude uh, on a basic biochemistry level, I won't go into it, but not only saturated fat, something called TMAO production, new 5GC production, inflammation measured by the high sensitivity C-reactive protein. Um, there's something called a red meat allergy, which is now associated with developing blockage. So if you go through this whole broad spectrum called the five pillars of nutrition, the science is clear. And just to conclude, in April of this year, 2020, um, a massive international cardiac research study called the ischemia study. Australia participated, United States participated. Do people with bad blockage need bypass and stents, or can they try medicine, diet, and lifestyle? It was like the Ornish study, but it was um, 20 times, 30 times bigger. It was thousands of people. What did they recommend to patients? A low saturated fat diet, reducing butter, meat, cheese, and egg yolks in their diet. And it was astoundingly effective. So when you really look at what helps people, this, the message has been the same since 1970. It's just, if you were a multi-billion dollar dairy industry or meat industry, you're not gonna go down quietly when you see 
Beyond Meat Burger and Impossible Burger and cellular meat being grown in labs and soy milk, almond milk, hemp milk, rice milk, macadamia milk, and all the oat milk and all the others that are out there. They're not going down quietly, but the science is pretty consistent. And nutrition science is hard. Go try and get you know 10,000 people to eat five different diets for 10 years. It fails every time and it's expensive. So we'll never have that data. You just got to go with the best data. It was such a cool summary. Thank you so much. It was, for it's so interesting. We talk in politics, of course, in the United States, we're in a pretty you know, vicious political cycle and hashtag fake news. But to think that hashtag fake news doesn't get into medicine, science and nutrition is wrong. There's too much money that headlines and you know, clickbait and eyeball time is uh, unfortunately sometimes as powerful as really the authentic science in terms of what you're going to hear and see. So from, a, from being a cardiologist, what I've, I've seen, I think there was a, a study released through the journal uh, Cardiology just talking about the lack of nutritional training for the yeah. average doctor. Right. So tell us about this setup because, uh, you know, what is it, from the, the standard medical care um, model, when someone has heart disease, um, what does that conversation look like with a doctor? I'm, I'm guessing a lot of our listeners have had this conversation as to how to treat, oh, you've got right. this, you need some X form of drug, and why are they recommending that? Yeah, you know, so there's medical students, there's residents, there's fellows, which are advanced trainees to become a cardiologist, and then you're out. And that can be, you know, a seven, eight, nine, ten 10-year road of training. One of the biggest objectives is to pass a national exam, a board certification. And the key there is the people that write these examinations. So the curriculum in med school, the curriculum in residency and fellowship training is pretty focused to make sure you're exposed and know the data to pass the boards. Because if you're a medical school, one of the things you're rated on is the passing rate of your students or your residents. There are so few nutrition questions on those examinations. And if you step back, there's so little nutrition education going on in school. We have to get that change. We have to get the board certification to recognize more people die of poor nutrition choices than any other factor in life in the world right now. Hypertension, high blood pressure being one of the most immediate connections because diet and high blood pressure are absolutely connected. But anyway, so until that happens, um, you the study you mentioned was done by a friend of mine out of Chicago, Stephen DeVries, but cardiology trainees in the United States may not get 30 minutes of nutrition training in three years of uh, fellowship. They don't know generally who Dean Ornish is, who Dr. Neil Barnard in diabetes reversal is, who Dr. John McDougall and some autoimmune disease, you know, treatment with whole food plant-based diet. They don't know about these. That's why I'm juiced up and always promoting, talking, trying to educate, but it's a big task and until the boards change. Um, the average patient hears nothing. They, they literally, and it's so sad, they have a heart attack. They maybe get an emergency stent, maybe a bypass. The next morning, it's eggs, bacon, white bread, and jello. Um, and people send me these pictures all over the world. There's not much difference. There's always a nice exception and good news. You know, a heart healthy menu, a bowl of oatmeal, an egg white omelet with vegetables and tomatoes and all. But it's not typical. So the first message they get, whether it's cancer surgery or heart care, could be a you know a barbecue a barbecue beef sandwich with added sugar on a white bread bun, and you know, it just confuses them. So uh, I typically it amazes me. I mean I know how to prescribe drugs and order tests, and I do that when needed. 
But I'll see somebody who had open heart surgery 25 years ago, and they're starting to get into trouble, and they're coming to me looking for some more natural advice. And I'll ask them, do you ever know, have you ever watched Forks Over Knives? Have you ever heard of Dr. Ornish? Has any doctor ever sat you down and told you about what you eat? 25 years later, you know, cared at universities and big hospitals that we're having the first conversation where it should have happened, you know, ideally before the bypass surgery, but at least right after it. So huge vacuum to fill. And frankly, I tell patients, you're how it's going to happen. When you read in a good book like Joel Perman or Michael Greger or Neil Barnard, and you take that book to your doctor and say, this is a great book. I learned how I might be able to help my diabetes by eating whole food plant-based. I'm going to give it a go. I mean, that's how it actually trickles up. It should be the other way, of course. Wow. Thank you. So we're curious. We've heard, you know, uh, meat may not be the health food that it's touted to be. What should we be eating for a, a healthy heart? Um, right. And, you know, to some degree, it's quality and quantity. You know, the Mediterranean diet is always a good place to go to. It's, you know, it's probably the most studied diet, although it's not that long ago. It actually was an American scientist. This actually fits with that saturated fat story I told you a few minutes back. It was an American scientist in Minneapolis watching all these heart attacks. He went and visited Naples, Italy in 1951. And his colleague said, what's a heart attack? We don't take care of heart attacks in Naples. And he's going, our hospital's full of heart attacks in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And that prompted the question, what's so different? People smoked in Italy and people smoked in Minneapolis. The diet was drastically different. And it was that low red meat, maybe on a holiday, maybe on a birthday, maybe on a weekend. But during the week, it was too expensive. You're not going to sacrifice your chicken and your goat every night. You know, grocery stores weren't packed full of options. There weren't government subsidies to keep the price of meat low, which are in the United States at least. And it was, you know, there were gardens in the backyard and people ate beans and people ate whole grains and people ate fruits and vegetables uh, as fresh as can be. Um, you know, there wasn't butter. It was extra virgin olive oil as the mainstay of any, uh, you know, fat in the diet. And a little red wine it never hurts. Um, and a lot of activity. And, you know, that is still a great model. That is, in fact, there's a food plate that the Australian government published in 2019, almost identical to the food plate recommended for the citizens of Canada in 2019, and almost identical to the one that the Harvard School of Public Health brought out in 2011. Half your plate should be fruit and vegetables. I mean, if everybody right now just said every meal, half my plate's going to be fruit and vegetables, that would be a revolution. Imagine serving somebody that after a heart attack. Quarter of your plate should be whole grains. If you're celiac, pick the grains you can eat. If you're not celiac, brown rice, whole wheat pasta, but whole grains, great fiber, lower your cholesterol, lower your risk of diabetes, lower your risk of heart disease. And a quarter healthy protein. You might like some lean beef. You might like a piece of salmon. I might like tempeh or tofu and beans and peas and lentils. But it's only a quarter of the plate anyways. It's not a 16-ounce porterhouse. Drink water, use extra virgin oil. You know, frankly, that's a great model. I do it easily, and I've done it for 40-plus years using only plants. But, you know, those that don't, you know, it shouldn't be this massive, you know, half turkey. It should be a small, lean piece of meat. And it's not bacon. It's not salami. It's not pepperoni. These have all been clearly identified by all these food groups. So. The ideal diet is as close to earth as possible, as color as possible, as fiber crunchy as possible. 
and as clean a source, if you can find organic, it's certainly a nice option. I mean, sometimes it's just not practical. If you can grow it in your backyard, it's probably the best situation. I'm a sprout nut because even the worst meal, I have mason jars, and I just learned recently, just seeds, water, got sprouts. And then I dump it out, and I put seeds, water, got sprouts. It like, takes no talent. But you're talking about you know fresh nutrient concentrated foods you can sprinkle on salads sprinkle on a casserole and it's just a nice add-on because we're gonna get into our winter here in detroit michigan not going to be growing anything in the garden but i can grow spouts you know year round so that's a real simple habit so cool thanks for sharing that um i'm guessing the frustrating thing is with what you've just described is like well it's so like the science is there but it's just not profitable right it's not profitable. And, you know, you're talking, I mean, the medical model isn't a bad model, but it's completely built on procedures, um, stents, bypass surgery, valve replacements. That's how you build a hospital. That's how the hospital funds itself. What we need to do is like unplug the cord on the world, reboot the world, build preventive education centers, build teaching kitchens, build access to fresh foods and simple ways that people can access them. Prescription costs, surgical costs, hospitalization costs would go down. There's no doubt about it. And you know, a few forward-thinking medical groups. We have a group in California called Kaiser Medical, big, big insurance group. And they teach healthy, whole food, plant-based nutrition to both their physicians and to their 11 or 12 million insured. So, I mean, it happens, but it's still a drop in the bucket. And it could transform medicine. But the key thing is anybody that wants to get healthier, just start with nutrition, you know, get a good night's sleep, then eat healthy all day long and move your body some. And, uh, you know, you're on your way to probably seeing some transformation. Awesome. You mentioned at the start of the call that you have some secrets to share with us that we haven't heard before. Can you can you divulge? <laughs> Let yeah. us know the secret. Yeah, you know, it's frustrating. People, there are people, I mean, I live by this little hashtag test not yes. Doctor, but I've been eating whole food plant-based for 18 months. Why do I need lab work? Why do I need a vitamin? Why would I need colonoscopy or a mammogram? I can't get heart disease. I said, well, what'd you do for the 60 years before the last 18 months? Plus genetics matter. So there are people that seem to be doing the right thing and tragically still have, whether it's cancer, heart attacks, strokes. So I like to teach and in my own practice, I dig a little deeper. So maybe two or three little pearls. One is you hopefully go to the doctor and get some routine lab work, and they're going to check your blood sugar and your kidney function. They're going to check your routine cholesterol, the cholesterol, your HDL, your LDL, your triglycerides. You guys use a slightly different unit, but you'd like your cholesterol to be you know, 4.5 or 4.0, not 8.0. That's different than we use in the United States, but there's an easy converter on my phone, and I do take care of a number of people in Australia. Um, you want all that basic stuff. But that doesn't guarantee. So one of my platforms that I teach, and you know, I, I, I set you guys up for this. This happens to be a book that I wrote in March of this year. But I hold it up only to see that word, a very awkward word, lipoprotein. And then you pronounce it little a, lipoprotein, lowercase a, but you say little a. This is a genetic cholesterol that won't show up on the blood work your doctor's doing. You have to ask for it. It's a, in the United States, it's about $30 blood test. It's not expensive. And it would be of no significance except it's a special cholesterol 
It can clog your brain arteries, your heart arteries. It can cause erectile dysfunction. It even can mess up one of your heart valves. One out of every four persons inherits it from their parents. We've known that since the 1960s. So worldwide, we're talking more than a billion and a half people from the day they're born are walking around with this wicked particle in the blood, a particle that can clog arteries, cause inflammation, cause blood clots, cause heart attacks, strokes, and death. Um, and it's recognized now with thousands of research studies, but it, it's barely getting into the doctor's brain. It's more so in Europe, very little in the United States, which is why I wrote a book. And I'm not sure how often doctors are checking it, but if you particularly have a family history, why did dad have a heart attack at 48? Why did grandma have a stroke at 52? And if it's not obvious, like three pack a day smoking, ask your doctor, can you please just add lipoprotein little a? The maybe slight controversy is we're not sure what to do. There is a research study that whole food plant-based diets help lower it if you have a high level. The popular drugs called Lipitor, the statins don't lower it, so they don't help at all. Um, there is a drug under development. I'm involved in an international study, and we won't know the answer for about four years. But if you knew you were carrying around an extra risk, you might want to eat healthy. You might want to work out a little bit more. You might want to focus on your stress and your weight and your blood pressure. You'll get everything else as on track as you can. So that's tip one. Tip number two, I've mentioned a couple of times without being kind of off the wall, but you know, men and erectile dysfunction is a very common problem. Generally, 40% of guys by age 40 have some problem. 50% of guys by age 50 keep going up the scale. It's very common. And yes, it can be psychological and it could be some injuries. Guys that ride their bike, you know, for 100 kilometers or 150 kilometers might have a little too much pressure. Generally, it's blood flow. And there's a very solid scientific medical teaching. If you're a 45-year-old guy and you're starting to have difficulty with erectile dysfunction, it may be bad arteries everywhere. And if you go to your doctor and ask for a prescription to help out, that'll probably help you. But you want to ask the question, how can I be sure my heart arteries are fine? There's a clear teaching that's about three to four years from bedroom trouble to a heart attack. And you've got time to find out your cholesterol, your blood pressure, your blood sugar. Start eating different. Start exercising. Drop some weight. You know, um, get some sleep and uh, prevent that heart attack. So I always bring that up as a clue. Uh, last one only, there's a very odd little physical finding. I'm sure you've never heard this. But about 50 years ago in New York City, a doctor named Dr. Frank noticed in his patients with heart disease, they had a crease in their earlobe. And he published this finding. I noticed with high frequency, heart patients have an earlobe crease. My patients with other problems don't have an earlobe crease. It's not going to be found in children, but 40, uh, 45 you're all good. Anybody I was checking that too. Just go on an internet search engine and look up diagonal earlobe crease. You'll see lots of pictures. Many famous people have them. Turns out in the last 10 years, this has been verified. It's about 70% accurate. You've got this decrease. Your heart arteries are starting to get clogged. What could be simpler? Now, 70% accurate mean people come to me concerned and we do the proper tests and they don't have heart disease. Um, we think it has something to do, again, with nutrition. Your earlobes are made of collagen. Our hair, our skin is made of collagen, but our arteries are made of collagen. And if your diet is particularly really low in fruits and vegetables, vitamin C, it may show up in your earlobe while it's also showing up in your arteries. It's just much easier to see a diagonal earlobe crease. So erectile dysfunction, diagonal earlobe crease, 
get the special cholesterol test at one out of every four people. That's unbelievably common. You know, you two and me is three. So we throw one more person in this picture. One in, one of the four of us is likely from the time we're born to possibly be carrying, you know, I don't want to call it a ticking dime bomb because these are called risk factors. They just raise the risk. But, you know, you want to manage risk. You don't want to be a victim of risk. Thanks so much for sharing. But yeah. I, I think that's such a practical thing someone can do today to, you know, obviously understand and have that conversation with their doctor. Yeah, have um, a little game up on your health. Absolutely. I'm curious, though, still amongst all this great evidence and science, like we've spoken a little bit, obviously, industry lobbying is super powerful. But right. we have certain diets at the moment that are um, quite popular, say the keto diet or the carnivore diet that's, that's coming in from a heart perspective. And this is, you know, yeah. being like one of the number one killer um, across the world, basically in developed nations. Uh, what is your perspective on these diets and its impact on heart health? It is a hot topic. I'll just tell you a funny story. I was on our local radio talk show this morning talking about some heart statistics and heart facts. And I go over to Twitter, and I'm always on Twitter, and there is a priest in Detroit who's attacking me on Twitter that I didn't praise the keto diet on my five minutes on this radio show. <laughs> and I kid you not, I had to look up, you know, why are you not quoting, you know, uh, Luke or Matthew? <laughs> Why are you beating me up? The, the keto priest attack. I just didn't see that one coming. Um, I was kind to His statement was legitimately, why didn't you talk about the way keto diets improve heart health? And I answered kindly because this was, you know, Father John. Um, I'm unaware of any, diet, any data that keto diets. So, you know, keto diet, low carb, generally high fat using maybe MCT oil, butter, coconut oil, meats, cheese, um, and, uh, you know, and maybe a little leafy green and a few berries just to constitute a few uh, low net carbs. You know, it works for children with epilepsy. It is often a low calorie diet, a bit of an Atkins starvation diet. You'll lose some water weight. You'll deplete your glycogen in your liver. That's another pound you're going to lose. And, you know, some people really do feel that, you know, it depends what you're coming from. You're coming from a crappy processed food, high calorie diet over to a restricted diet that cuts out processed food, cuts out added sugars, cuts out refined carbs. You may actually feel better for a few weeks. So some people go through that keto flu that we call kind of a detoxification bath. You may drop some weight. Some people actually manage to keep their cholesterol and their blood sugar good, or sometimes it gets a little better. You drop a little weight, you're eating 300 fewer calories a day often you might actually see an improvement. But the wicked side of that is about 30 or 40% of people that adopt this high-fat keto diet, their cholesterol goes through the roof. It can literally jump 200 to 600, or let's say 4.5 to 9, you know, in the metrics you use. It literally can jump like crazy because some people, they're called hyperabsorbers. You add saturated fat and cholesterol to the diet, and they just suck it into their blood, and it shows up. And it could be potentially quite dangerous. So if you do this for 10 days, you're going on vacation, you want to get in your swimsuit, or you're going to a wedding and you want to look a little svelte, there's probably not much harm. What is worrisome is month after month after year after year, people are adopting this you know, perpetual, I'll eat the burger and the cheese, I'll throw the bun away. Well, I don't want to eat the bun either. I mean, unless it was a whole grain, crunchy, really good bun. But uh, don't focus on the meat and the cheese. 
end of story, do we have any data that we are either stopping or actually reversing cardiovascular disease with the keto diet? We just don't have any data. There's not a shred of data. And yet so many people are doing it. And if you're 25 years old, you're probably going to get away with it for a while. Because remember, heart disease takes years to fully manifest. So, you know, the keto diet's been popular for five years. The carnivore diet, you know, two to three years. And I have friends that are MDs that are showing their pictures on Twitter. I do the carnivore diet. Look how clean my arteries are. It's 18 months or 12 months on the diet. Well, you know, and I'm glad for them. And they're just one person anyways. But, you know, let's study a population. You could not reasonably recommend the carnivore diet or the ketogenic diet as a science-backed diet. The obligation is to do what's gone on in the whole food plant-based world. That study in type 2 diabetes versus a controlled diet. That study in heart disease. That study it in rheumatoid arthritis. That study in certain cancers like prostate cancer. All of that has to be done uh, with the keto diet. They do have a few diabetes type 2 data, but they don't have any data on arteries and what it's impacting. So warning, warning, warning. And just the last statement, there are a few epidemiology studies we studied 35,000 people in Greece. If you said you ate a low-carb diet and we followed you for 15 years, your risk of dying was higher than if you said you ate a high-complex-carb diet, beans, peas, lentils, fruit, and vegetables. So there are these trigger points that raise a concern, but uh, you know, it's not very popular in the keto movement to talk about them. Thanks for sharing. I would love to ask you a bit about cholesterol. Obviously, over the years, we've heard, you know, cholesterol is bad, or then actually cholesterol is not as bad as we thought it was, or cholesterol is bad again. So what is, what is the true story on cholesterol? And um, possibly if you can share your input on um, your thoughts on eggs as well. Yeah. So, I mean, 99.9% .9 of cardiologists, scientists, medical societies, um, have concluded without a, even a sliver of doubt that the way you start to clog your arteries so that you are at risk for heart attacks, stroke, aneurysms, erectile dysfunction, other problems, is that cholesterol in the blood is trapped in the wall of the arteries, creates some inflammation, starts to incite a process that leads to plaque, leads to narrowing. It's called the response to retention therapy. Cholesterol getting trapped in the wall of the artery um, and the more there is in the blood, the more there's going to be available to get trapped in an artery. The strongest statement was last year, the European Society of Cardiology. Man, they made it like their focus all year. LDL cholesterol, which goes up if you eat a lot of dietary saturated fat and cholesterol. LDL cholesterol causes heart disease. No question. There's no controversy. All the science over many decades is there. Now, I said 99.9. .9. There's a very small fraction of people out there that think cholesterol is not the problem. Inflammation's a problem. And you can measure blood tests to assess inflammation. Insulin resistance is a problem. And you can measure blood tests. Uh, on the very popular Joe Rogan show, a United States medical doctor in the last week, I've been on the Rogan show two, two years ago, which is a huge audience, but I quoted the literature. This physician from the United States quoting no literature showed his cholesterol was over 600 on his carnivore diet, and he's happy as a clam. I mean, it is such an irresponsible, I don't mind if he wants to experiment on his own health, but he also counsels people to do this. It's so irresponsible. 
Because again, the risk of cancer and heart disease is only going to show up in a decade. It's not going to show up six weeks after starting this diet or six months. It's insanity. Um, so there is pretty, pretty uniform consensus. I mean, how does our blood cholesterol go up? Mainly saturated fat, mainly that additional butter, lard, croissants, marbled meats, pork, turkey, salmon, they all have a higher saturated fat content than any baked potato or sweet potato or navy bean or lima bean or you know, lentil uh, or any fruit or any vegetable for that matter. Um, you know, the more you eat in your food, animal foods, the more uh, your liver can't process it and your cholesterol stays high. You asked about eggs. You know, egg yolks, egg whites are essentially pure protein, and you can argue good, bad, but they won't raise your cholesterol. Egg yolks have um, cholesterol and saturated fat both. And it, if you go back 50 years ago and you took skinny little Americans, because we were a skinny country 50 years ago, with cholesterols of 160, which is kind of like the average cholesterol very often, and you fed them eggs, their cholesterol went up. And it was presumed down the road, if they kept that habit, that they would uh, probably develop heart disease. In the last 20 years, number one, most of the egg studies have been funded by the egg industry. That's just a fact that's been analyzed. Number two, we're now dealing with people that on average are 30, 40 pounds or 20 kilos overweight. Their cholesterol starts at 220 or maybe starts at seven in the Australian measurement. You know, it's hard. You're already bloated. You already have stuffed yourself full of dietary cholesterol. And if you add some eggs in, it doesn't raise the cholesterol that much. So in the most recent USDA, United States uh, Department of Agriculture food guidelines, the statement was reduce cholesterol in the diet as much as possible. They didn't put a milligram number. They just said as much as possible. And that is, you know, going to be egg yolks and uh, such. You know, if you're hungry and you're starving and there's eggs, you eat what you eat. But if you're creating that optimal diet, you probably want to keep the number of eggs down. I mean, uh, you know, they are a concentrated source of nutrition. But like many things, they come with a little baggage. And if you're dealing with cardiovascular disease or diabetes or some concern about it, uh, there's actually quite consistent data. If you're a type 2 diabetic, number one, try and reverse it. Try and change your diet and get rid of your type 2 diabetes. But eggs are a particularly maybe uh, inappropriate choice in people with type 2 diabetes in terms of cholesterol and heart risk. Excellent. Thank Wonderful. you for Thank demystifying you. that. Yeah. Um, Thank you. Before, as we wrap up, I'd love to hear some uh, just uh, one or two stories of people that you've worked with personally that have maybe been that worst case scenario and then they've been able to re uh, reverse a lot of these conditions through diet and lifestyle, lifestyle changes. Yeah, absolutely. I'll just mention two people in Detroit, and they're both men, but it, there's women's stories. They just come to mind. But about seven years ago, uh, a telecommunications executive called me and said, my name is Paul Chatlin. You don't know me. I live in Detroit. I'm 55. But if you had met me a year ago, I was overweight. I was feeling poorly. I was diagnosed with severe heart disease. And he actually took himself to the Cleveland Clinic, very famous heart institution, to have bypass surgery the next day. And that evening, somebody whispered to him, do you know we have a nutrition program at the Cleveland Clinic to try and work on reversing heart disease without cutting you open and taking your heart out? He goes, what, you know, are you joking me? And he was of the temperament, he checked out of the hospital, he started reading, he was counseled by a very famous physician named Dr. Caldwell Esselstyn, 
using whole food plant diets. By the time he called me, 40 pounds lighter, cholesterol was down to almost nothing, blood pressure was down, he was back to playing tennis, no more chest pain. The doctors at the Cleveland Clinic were saying, like, what happened? Did you have a secret bypass you didn't tell us about? You're so much better. He actually would pass his stress test. And remarkable, now it's seven years later, and thank God, the guy's like a superstar. And he asked me at that time if we would develop a support group called the Plant-Based Nutrition Support Group, which we thought was going to help 20 people kind of do the same thing Paul did. And now it has about 7,700 members all over the world, just supporting people. Because one of the best ways to be successful in your diet is have some people doing it with you. And rarely is that family. Sometimes it's friends. You know, occasionally it's a coworker. But now even digitally, at least you have a support group. So that was one story. And uh, there's another famous Detroiter, Mark Ramirez, who's probably about 55, but he was a uh, very famous college football player. You know, when you're 20 years old and you weigh 300 pounds or, you know, uh, 130 kilos, but your muscle, I mean, you can eat five steaks, you can eat 10 eggs, you don't even think about it. By age 30, he still weighed 300 pounds, he was all blubber, and he was diagnosed with diabetes and high blood pressure and cholesterol issues more medicine every year, more medicine, developed erectile dysfunction. Well, about age 45, his in-laws, he was married with kids, but he was a big, blubbery guy, uh, handed him a copy of Forks Over Knives, the documentary, the DVD, published in 2011. Not one doctor had ever told him that there was any way out of the hole he felt he was in. Drugs, prescription, injection, insulin, feel sick. Three months later, off every pill, off every shot, Labs coming down to normal, weight coming down. You know, you ditch the hot dogs, you ditch the chili con carne, you, you know, you ditch the fries and the malts, and you just start making bean soups and bean chili and bean tacos and tamales and salads and oatmeal and smoothies and apples. And, you know, miraculous things can happen. So both those guys are very well known. Mark Ramirez, he has a website called Chickpea and Bean, Chickpea and Bean. And Paul Chaplin, our website is called pbnsg.org. But, I mean, because we set up this organization, you know, we've got dozens and dozens and dozens of people that have done exactly the same thing. Uh, and it's inspiring, for sure. Wow, such cool stories. And thank you yeah. so much for, um, you know, helping with this work. Because as we know, it's just, it, you know, we can see it statistically, just seeing like, you know, the number one killer. Um, and then we seal this disinformation. And really, at the end of the day, the people that suffer are the, is the average family or the, you know, the average person. And they're just a little bit confused, but still not, you know, haven't seen the, haven't heard it from an authority source. And so they're continuing in their old lifestyle and they're not seeing this new data. And then they end up dying prematurely, which is just tragic, a tragedy. And so thank you so much for the work that you do. If you someone too. would like, <laughs> Thank you. Um, if someone was to want to work with you, I, I, do I understand that you still you work with people from all over the world uh, remotely? I do. I do. Awesome. I do. I've had in the last month people from North Australia. New, I did a little teaching course that played through New Zealand and Australia and heart disease. And it's kind of a fun thing to do. Uh, it was actually for medical professionals, but it was very sweet. Got the word out a little bit. So, yeah, I'm at drjoelcon.com. D-R-J-O-E-L. K-A-H-N.com. And it's a small world now with uh, Zoom and uh, all the other you know, ways to connect uh, WhatsApp and the rest.
Awesome. Thank you so much, Dr. Khan. We've so enjoyed this call today. And Thank you. Uh, for everyone watching, make sure you check out Dr. Khan's resources. Um, I'm sure there's so much more to learn. Very exciting stuff. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.